Depression. No breathing. Don't give a what? No. It's a song about suicide. You can't listen to music that exactly describes the emotional thing you're going through. You know how cheesy that is? Uh. I don't listen to Atlantis Morissette when I'm going through a breakup, and I'm not listening to Papa Roach on the day I'm going to kill myself. Welcome to the Swamplex Podcast. My name is Brandon Madej. I'm Brittany Longas. I am James Cohn. And I'm Hannah Rassinen. And we are back to talk about more best of 2022 stuff. <laughs> That's uh, right. It's not over. It should be over. Like, come on. <laughs> we spend a whole month doing this every year. Uh, it's like very funny to me at this point because this podcast is coming out the same week we're doing our official like top 10 list as a group. Mm-hmm. But also I've seen, I think, four or five new releases in 2023 so far. So like I'm ready to like mentally Jesus. move on. That's right. We're already like... <laughs> A twelfth of the way through this yeah, year yeah, already. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it just takes a while to get everybody on the same page. Um, yeah, I can announce now that um, everything everywhere kind of beat everything ah. else out. Was that the way? Yeah, yeah I, I mean, saw that's where it was. It's pretty yeah. high up on a lot of lists. Yeah, yeah. Mad God fought a good fight last recording. That's right. Was it second? <laughs> no. Really? really? Yes. Oh. The, the other podcast contingent went really hard for Marcel the Shell. <laughs> Oh, oh really oh man two movies that weren't on my list. yeah yeah britney's uh holding down the fort on <laughs> the contrarian side of things so yeah the same week you're hearing this you can go on the website swampflex.com and look at our top 10 films of 2022 and this episode we're going to talk about even more movies that will not mm. be on that list that's right but i kind of wanted to start off today by just talking about all the new stuff we've seen since the last time we recorded um, immediately after that three hour <laughs> <laughs> you know, extravaganza. All four of us went out to see Megan in theaters. The movie about the killer doll. Yes. Have you killer heard? robot slash yeah. doll. Boomer stopped me from describing what this movie is last episode. He's like, the marketing has been strong enough that we do not need to tell people. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> I thought it was great. And Same. I love how like Megan kind of like took over like pop culture mm-hmm. for a hot mo- Like it's not as strong now, but like. There were guests on like day shows that would dress up like Megan and do like the dance, like drag queens are doing the Megan performance. Yeah. And it's just like, it's interesting. And I'm here for it. And I think they already greenlit a second one, yep. Megan 2.0. <laughs> oh, thank God. <laughs> thank God. I have no complaints about it. Like, the very first scene is like a fake Furby ad, which I did not expect. <laughs> yeah. And it had me laughing. And I, I don't think I lost that, like, good feeling the whole time. Right. Yeah. Megan had such a strong care. Like, I love her little side eyes at people. She just had so much detestment towards humans. She's such a brat. Yeah. She is a brat. But yeah. she's a classy brat. She's <laughs> right. like, Mm-mm, I'm going to rip your ear off, buddy. I thought I thought it was clever and one of the funniest things I've seen in theaters in a long time. Yeah. So yeah. I had a very fun time with it. So that same week, I went back to the theater and saw Shin Ultraman, which was um, screening like Fathom Events Ooh. two nights, and that's it. Um, I, I don't know if anybody in this room saw Shin Godzilla Mm-mm. when it came out in 2016. No. Great film. I mean, like a really satirical, like what if Godzilla came back today? How would like modern government bureaucracy deal with that kind <laughs> oh of threat? God. In Shin Godzilla, it's like, embarrassing how little gets done to respond to something as like monumental as you know a godzilla sized problem and in shin ultraman the humans are still bad at it but it's like cute so it's like a much more fun version of that kind of satire so like ultraman is a godzilla scale 
humanoid alien. So he's this guy who like walks among us in this like Clark Kent kind of disguise, and he can like power up to kaiju scale to fight all of the Godzilla monsters that come out of the ground. Nice. Um, and the movie has all these kitschy like 60s TV score um, motifs. So like it feels like original to the Ultraman TV series soundtrack. Uh, so it's just really fun and campy. Uh, it gets psychedelic. The more he fights these like CGI monsters, the weirder they look. And like he slips into these like intergalactic dimensions that look um, just fucking bizarre on uh. the screen. And it's directed by the guy who did uh, Neon Genesis Evangelion. I think he produced this one, but directed Shin Godzilla. And his like anime sensibilities are like bleeding into this um, live action superhero franchise. So like everything is shot from these like ridiculous dynamic angles. You know, like if someone picks up a pen off a desk in like an anime thing, there's like three different cuts <sighs> and it's shot like it's a fight scene almost. Yeah. Everything in this is shot like that. So it's like. Very Soderberghian almost, like uh, just really dynamic office work <laughs> that's shot as if like every scene is Ultraman fighting, but sometimes it's just someone filing paperwork. Amazing. Very fun movie. Probably my favorite of this new batch of stuff. Oh. Definitely recommend catching up with Shin Godzilla in the meantime before Ultraman pops up this year. Next, uh, the Kevin Williamson scripted slasher Sick. I watched which Sick Which I saw too. Bernie saw. Yeah. I, w- I had kind of high hopes for it. Yeah. It's a period piece set in early 2020, like <laughs> in like the piece. early right. days of the pandemic before <laughs> there were vaccines. So everyone's really paranoid and in a bad mood and like distrustful of each other. Like if you cough in the grocery store, everyone like shoots daggers in your direction. As they should. As they should. And then uh, these two teens isolate themselves in like a cabin in the woods to quarantine. And it becomes a pretty standard slasher movie where people chase them around the cabin with a kitchen knife. Whenever they got to quarantine and like like that giant really fancy like cabin style house like i was expecting it to turn into like a bodies 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 type environment almost and it felt like that for a little bit and then it totally wasn't and yeah i I think that's whenever i got kind of like not pissy with it just sort of disappointed i got mad at it actually yeah the last 10 minutes where they reveal who the killer is and why they're killing these kids Felt very much like a Gen Xer complaining on Facebook about people who are too into masks and vaccines. Yeah. And I was like, this is dumb. Yeah. Huge disappointment. But the actual like killing stuff is shot really well and it yeah. looks exciting. It's just a bummer. Same. Because like, whenever I didn't know how to feel about it, like I kind of was like, are they making a mockery of like people who like took it seriously? That's kind of how I read it. Yeah. <laughs> and who were upset by like yeah. the tragedy that came from COVID. It, it, yeah. It felt icky. It's weird, too, because Kevin Williamson, he's famous for writing all of the Scream movies. Mm-hmm. And there's another Scream movie coming out, there like, in a couple months. Mm. And it's just like, why would you step outside of that, like, popular franchise to write this, like, straight-to-peacock slasher <laughs> so you could <laughs> complain about COVID restrictions? Like, right. very dumb. But it looks great. <laughs> and then uh, Hannah, James, and I all went out to see Skinamarink, the experimental nightmare mm-hmm. simulator. Which is another period piece set in 1995, <laughs> a little longer ago than 2020. I really, really, really liked it. Um, yeah. And I don't know that I can recommend it to anybody particularly, but I've heard of people that I know that have seen it independently and also enjoyed it. But I feel like it's very divided. Like people are either like this absolutely filled me with dread, brought me back to being a child alone in the house watching cartoons 
and then like this is the most boring shit I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> yeah, it's it's hard to describe it because it's just a lot of shots of hallways, weird angles of doorways, just like if you connect with it, you connect with it on a pretty deep level, like being alone in my mom's house, watching TV late at night with the lights off, and you think you see something move in the corner and it freaks you the fuck out. Like that's the vibe of this entire thing. So, you know, depending on how you feel about that. It's pretty crazy that a movie that uncommercial screened in multiple theaters in the city in the first place. Yeah. And then we rushed to see it opening weekend thinking it would barely stick around. I think even the broad only had it for like three days originally. And then it spread to like AMC theaters this weekend is like Mm -hmm. got a really strong word of mouth, especially for something that leaked on the Internet early last year. I mean, it feels pretty fresh. Like me and Hannah recently, we started watching these like YouTube horror. uh, What? What was it it's called? It's like the back door. The back door. Yeah. Are you familiar with that? No. It was like released online. Same vibe. Just a lot of it is just walking down hallways that yeah. seem to never end and lead to more hallways. And I think it's pretty revolutionary. Like it feels fresh, like kind of where horror could go, like tapping into some something very like deeply dreadful that we've all experienced, not just like slashers and monsters. And, you know, I feel like the mental illness as its own horror thing is kind of running out of steam. And this felt like very fresh. Yeah. It reminded me a lot of the book house of leaves, which is about a family whose um, rooms start appearing in their home that they can't really explain in terms of architecture. Like it doesn't make sense that this room would exist based on like the space on the outside of the house. And then, there's this hallway that opens up into this huge spiral staircase and it's just like miles and miles and miles wide. And I th- I really love horror about physical spaces that kind of start to betray you or start acting um, in unpredictable ways. And this film really captures that, um, you know, like the windows disappear the doors disappear like it's some force inside of the house is cutting these children off from the outside world and then you know hallways start to change in kind of more ominous ways so it's an interesting topic and then also just like super bare bones presentation like there's almost no narrative kind of linking the movie together so it's just like really hit a sweet spot yeah. for me and it's shot in that old like grainy vhs that like when you look at it on the big screen it's almost like you're hallucinating like it starts to shift on you and yeah. it's like very granular and captured i think you know you said it was set in 95 like i don't know, it captures like to me like the late 80s mid 80s kind of aesthetic VHS, I don't know. It's really interesting. That's kind of what freaked me out about it was like it's setting and like the objects, like the exact toys that are in it are stuff I had in the late 80s, early 90s. Mm-hmm. The Fleischer public domain cartoons are the exact ones I remember seeing on TV all the time because they were public domain uh, in the 90s. And then so much of it to me feels modern digital. So like the style of grain that he's messing with, um, the director, he put on these like digital filters, but like multiple of them. So like 
you're looking at this digital film grain applied to this image. It's like undulating in this weird yeah. digital yeah. way. And like it almost feels like it loops over sometimes. You could see like the grain start again in this right. like pattern. And like you already mentioned the sort of internet creepypasta quality of it. Um, he um, His name's Kyle Edward Ball. He got his start by directing these horror shorts on YouTube where like users in the comment section would tell him what their nightmares were as a kid. And he would like illustrate them in these like shorts on YouTube. He said it's like what he's learned by doing that. Yeah. So like it's like almost like an amalgamation of all these different childhood nightmares. So like the psychic space of being alone in the 80s or 90s in a suburban home and then the psyche of like looking at weird shit on the internet in the digital age are both very present at the same time while watching this. Yeah. And it was like tripping me out watching it. Like <laughs> mm-hmm. not knowing how to contextualize either thing and like existing in both eras at the same time, I found like was one of the weirder aspects of the film in a way. Yeah. It's very interesting stuff. It's crazy that it's like successful. Yeah. Financially. It's going to be on Shudder, I think like the first week of February. And I don't know that I recommend watching it that way. I think going to the theater yeah. is a great experience. No, I think if I was watching it in my house, there's no way I could have paid attention the way that I could in a theater. Like, it is very slow, especially <laughs> just especially for the first, like, two-thirds of this. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah. It, it is long. That's the one. It could definitely have been tighter. I think the only other way to watch it would be, like, alone in in your room with headphones on on like your laptop the audio is just as layered and textured as the uh visual stuff is for sure and we we happen to have a respectful audience too like everyone was freaked out in the same kind of way and they were like quiet until the freaky shit was happening towards the end and they were like oh i don't like that <laughs> yeah that, like, <laughs> yeah. Was muttering, like uh, no 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 <laughs> and there were a couple jump scares yeah that got uh, yeah. pretty big reaction <laughs> <Some> shrieks yeah <laughs> I did. Yeah, that that was definitely my vibe for like ninety percent of the movie. It's like, no, I don't like no, any of this. No, no, this no, doesn't no. feel good. I don't want those eyes looking at me. <laughs> okay, that is my marathon of new releases. <laughs> Do we want to mention anything older than that that we watched since the last time we recorded? We don't have to. <laughs> yeah, that's a good summation of yeah. okay. what has come out so far. I'm excited. Like Sundance is happening right now, so yes. the new Brandon Cronenberg is yeah, coming out. I did get one Sundance ticket and it pretty much everything was already sold out by the time I was getting a ticket but I got a ticket to Run Rabbit Run Ooh. which is a it's a horror movie about this um woman who I th- she's like a doctor or a pharmacist or something and her daughter starts behaving strangely and that's all I know about it um there's a really there was a movie besides Cronenberg and that like fairy tale like in my mother's skin or something yeah with a little child and a flesh-eating fairy that looks cool there's this movie called magazine dreams um about this wrestler um and it's um you may have to cut this out because i actually don't remember very much about it but it has this actor who's been really popular lately he's just like this super strong like muscular dude i think he was in creed but it seems like kind of a examination of the like the dark underbelly of wrestling, which yeah. I don't know. I'm into that. So I think there's another movie there that's um, about the wrestler Cassandro who does like yes! the gay bathing yeah, wrestling with Gael Garcia Bernal. Yeah, yeah. I'm I love Cassandro. The documentary about him is really good. Yeah. So I'm excited to see that too. Yeah, good stuff. There's new movies to be excited about, mm-hmm. but we have one more pit stop <laughs> in 2022. <laughs> Let's get it out of the way. We had some movies that only were on our like 
below the line, like 11 through 20 favorites mm-hmm. of the year. So some stuff we wanted to give some like extra breathing room to in this episode. Mm-hmm. Some honorable mentions. And all that's coming up to you right, right now. now. This show, the Golden Globe Awards, did not air last year because the Hollywood Foreign Press Association, which I, I won't say they were a racist organization, but... <laughs> They didn't have a single black member until George Floyd died. So do with that information what you will. So the movie that I wanted to give an honorable mention to was my number 16 of 2022. And it is called On the Count of Three. I had totally forgotten about this movie until I was watching the, not the Grammy. The the Golden Globes. Golden Globes. Yeah. I saw Jared Carmichael was hosting. I was like, oh, wait, he directed that really good movie. And then I had to check it. I guess it came out in 2021, sort of, but not really. And it got like a Sundance release that was like, yeah, trickled out. I think it came out in Hulu eventually. Yeah. And then it came out on Hulu, like why release last year. And it's just one of those movies. I totally had forgotten that it came out last year. I was like, oh shit. Like I was about to finalize my list and I was like, that was a really good movie. And I just like put it in at number 16 because it felt right. I have never seen any Jared Carmichael stand up stuff. The Golden Globes was like the first thing I had seen him in outside of this film. Same. And then I watched three of his stand up specials this week. After how, how are they? I, I wanted to dive into those. I want to talk about how his stand up relates to his Golden Globes thing. So if you want to talk about like, what you thought about his Globes persona. I want to get into a stand-up after mm. that. Yeah, I mean, I because I feel like that will give some background that will also help talk about the film. Yeah. Because, I mean, he did write and directed This Is Like His Baby. I thought he was pretty funny at the Golden Globes. I He was definitely, you know, there was a controversy where I guess they didn't have the Golden Globes last year and they were because of, I guess, charges of racism because they didn't have any black people on the actual board. And so he like addressed that openly the entire night. He made everyone very uncomfortable. Very uncomfortable. <laughs> and, his, and his tone was very dry and just like telling it how it is. He's like, he basically was like, they picked me because I'm a black guy and I wasn't going to do it. But then they wrote me a check for a shit ton of money and I was like, fuck it. And so I'm here and he's just like, sitting on the stage, just kind of hanging out, like openly talking shit about the event that he's hosting. And I don't know, everyone was very uncomfortable. And I think that was the point. It was like them reckoning with their shit kind of. And uh, I I thought it was pretty effective. Yeah. He has like a really quiet way of like getting everyone to like focus and like, it's almost like ASMR. Hmm. Like uh, he has a very velvety voice. Stand up. Yeah. Yeah. So like he's, Tackling these like really like hot button issues, but at this like almost like whisper, you know. Mm. I remember earlier last year he hosted SNL, and it was like the week after the Oscars. Speaking of another like award ceremony, and he was like talking about the slap, but not talking about it. He was just like, "I have to talk about it, right? Y'all don't want to talk about it. Y'all trying to hear about it, <laughs> but we have to talk about it." He has a way of like getting everyone to like calm down and focus on a single issue, and it's always something super hot button, like controversial. His stand-up special last year was directed by Bo Burnham. Oh. And it's called Rothaniel. And in that, 
he's sitting in like a fold out chair on the stage in this like kind of jazzy nightclub and he's talking in this very conversational tone the way he was at the globes and the audience is eating out of his hand in that one but not at the globes they were like basically rebelling and like booing him at some points yeah and there, there was a lot of uncomfortable moments where there was a loud chatter amongst the audience yeah. members and he would you could tell he was struggling to like pull them back in uh, and yeah there were a couple like open boos and yeah i mean he openly talked about the guy that runs Scientology, Dennis Miscavige, like, like missing his wife, wife oh, has Miscavige. been, yeah, his wife has been missing Shelley. for years. Yeah, yeah, she went missing when she was like forty three, and she's like celebrating her sixty something birthday. And no right one now. knows where the fuck she is. Yeah. Like, and he just, yeah, I don't know, just openly said it. That I was like, damn. Well, and tied Tom Cruise to like, uh, yeah. maybe we can trade the Golden Globes right. for the safe return of Shelley. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, I was like, holy shit. So in Roth Annual, he uses that tone to come out as gay to the audience, which to me, I don't really know this guy very much. So I don't really know what the significance of that is. But as I watched his two stand-ups before that, he used to have a more like traditional like, kind of macho, like women are like this and oh, this is how I treat the women I date kind of stuff. Yeah. But like if you go all the way back to his first one, he has this bit about like if he was gay, he would hold that like coming out as like an Uno card, like draw four, like he would hold it for like a really opportune moment uh, mm-hmm. to like draw attention to himself, which was a very funny bit in retrospect. Yeah. But in Rothaniel, he's like kind of just talking to the audience. Like I'm gay. I came out to my mom. She's not as cool with it as I would want her to be. And like, these are the secrets of my family that like have like kind of haunted me my whole life. And the um, audience starts asking him like almost therapy questions. Like, and how does that make you feel halfway mm-hmm. through? So, that one is like very unconventional stand up. The one before is him doing Trump election fallout in like 2016. So he's like talking about like, man, the world feels like it's falling apart. So he's doing the same, like coming outright in a very quiet way, addressing like a big elephant in the room, like hot button issue. The reason I mention all that is because this movie does that too, but with like every taboo thing you could possibly talk about. Yeah. I mean, it's talking about some like heavy, dark shit. I mean, Child molestation, suicide. suicide, depression, abortion, abortion, like you name it. And it's touched on in this movie. And what I personally loved about this movie is that it talks about all these really dark things and it's still funny. I think that's incredibly hard to do. Like, obviously, he's a comedian. He knows how to do that. But to like make a point about really deep stuff that like affects a lot of people's lives negatively and to do it in a way where you can also laugh and like cry at the same time is like pretty awesome to pull off. It's funny. Like when you press play on the um, trailer, even there's like a warning, like this movie um, has jokes about suicide in it. Please confirm that you're okay with that <laughs> to consent to like being like attacked with a suicide joke. Yeah. Uh, Cause it is pretty outright. Yeah. I don't know if you want to get in the plot before like I start, tearing that down a little because i don't know that this movie serves his style as well as like his stand-up does because he's like kind of a quiet guy yeah so basically it's him and the other actors christopher abbott who i've seen in some stuff he was great in possessor in possessor he was in girls girls Mm -hmm. um black bear you really liked he was good yeah yeah i liked him in black bear but anyway they're they're two best friends grew up in a foster home together Christopher Abbott's character is in a mental institution after trying to commit suicide. 
And Carmichael is in this like dead end job, like a fertilizer plant or some shit. And like his life isn't going great. Problems with his girlfriend. And he finds out eventually he's going to be a dad and he doesn't think he can handle that. And he actually attempts to commit suicide himself early in the film. It's very funny. Yeah. A really funny scene. scene. (laughs) Like like this coworker of his is singing. um, I, some it's a great country song. Be alive. Yeah, yeah, with like all his heart and soul yeah. in the bathroom. Yeah, and like and he, the look on his face, like, I don't want to die in this bathroom right listening now. to this guy <laughs> sing. So he he gets uh his friend out of the institution, breaks him out, and basically they make a suicide pact. He's like, We're gonna spend one more day together, and at the end of it, we're gonna kill each other. And the middle section of the film kind of meanders a little bit it's kind of episodic like he goes to visit his dad they run into this guy that used to bully them and again it's all like it's very funny but they're also openly talking about like murdering the guy that molested him and suicide in general and making jokes about it and then the film has a what i think like really effective climax where they commit the murder like they kill the guy that ruined his life and they're running from the cops and it just crescendos into like the final standoff. Like we're going to do this or not. And it ends in like a pretty, I don't know. It was a, it was a bummer, uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, pretty big bummer. Yeah, and there it's is devastating. It's devastating, but there is like the very last thing. There is light at the end of the it's tunnel. Sweet. The yeah. Very last yeah. moment. Bittersweet. I, I really liked there's a line of dialogue in the beginning of the film that kind of like echoed throughout the entire movie for me, where he's basically talking about like giving up. Like people talk about quitting, like it's this awful thing, but quitting is great. You <laughs> tell your boss, like, fuck you, and I don't want to do this anymore. And like he has that attitude. And I think at the end, he comes around to like maybe trying mm-hmm. to live is a good thing. I don't know. So his character has like, realization and anyway but like we were saying it's very dark comedy territory but it is very funny and like i said i don't know if the middle section it like meanders maybe a little too much and like you were saying i don't know if carmichael is like a leading man type yeah. really like he he can act like especially at the end when he's pleading with his friend like all that emotion comes out, but for a lot of the movies, hard to read. Yeah. But I do think Christopher Abbott was the heart and soul yeah, of this absolutely. movie. His character, when he's like driving, listening to Papa Roach. Very funny scene. Really funny. And when he's like trying to keep it together for his therapist and you see the rage bubbling when he realizes she's not going to let him out and he just like calls her a bitch and then immediately apologizes. <laughs> and like when he talks to Carmichael about race and he's just like, it's such an empathetic lived in sort of performance. Like I really felt for his character and that made the ending so incredibly sad. Cause it, you knew that's how it was going to end the whole time and you were wishing it didn't. Uh-huh. But so I thought he really carried the movie. So yeah, it just, it really worked for me. I, and like I said, I think it talked about some really fucked up stuff. That's hard to talk about in a way that made it more palatable. Cause it was funny. And um, I enjoyed it. What What did you guys think of it? Yeah, I really focused the most on like 
suicide and depression. You know, you already mentioned that scene in the beginning um, where Christopher Abbott is like trying to barter his way out of the psychiatric unit. And like, that feels like such a a true to life scene of like, no, I'm, you know, I'm doing much better. And, you know, you know, she asks him, are you still having suicidal thoughts? He's like, no, no, no. In fact, the opposite. I'm so happy to be alive, (laughs) you know, and he's just, you can just see he's like, please just get me out of here. That scene had my favorite line where he's like, why are you people so obsessed with keeping everyone alive? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So that line (laughs) actually like made me think a bunch because I'm like, you know, when people get cancer a terminal illness like they want that choice to like end their life when they want to and then when he said that i was like i mean should people just be able to end their lives when the fuck they want to yeah why is there such a stigma on suicide i'm like oh my god there was a lot of really i never thought of it that way and it made that dialogue and it's the same way i felt about the giving up like i don't know not saying giving up on life, but in general, like sometimes quitting at something when you realize this is bullshit. Like, why is it a bad thing? Why is that, that a bad, bad thing? You know. But I mean, I just feel like this film grappled with suicidal ideation mm-hmm. in a way that is very true to life. Yeah. And like very honest. Another thing that I appreciated was like the portrayal of kind of the feedback loop of depression where Christopher Abbott attempts suicide. Uh, Gerard Carmichael's character is unhappy with his life and his friend's suicide kind of, it's like he can empathize with it and he understands. And that kind of starts his, it's, it starts him off thinking, okay, well we can commit suicide together. And then he breaks his friend out of the psychiatric hospital to join him in the suicide pact, even though like Christopher Abbott is still, and he's like clinically depressed, has been struggling with this for years, but still seems to like be hesitant about actually going through with it again. But, you know, Gerard Carmichael kind of like brings him back into the spiral and then he changes his mind. So it's like, how the different types of depression can kind of like ring themselves together and like you can really really damage somebody if you like pull them into your I mean basically he's going through a slump like I thought that those dynamics were really interesting yeah yeah like the difference between like being unhappy with your life and being clinically depressed depressed is a it's a different ball game one of them's been dealing with it since he was born right yeah <laughs> yeah but and i wonder too if that was saying something about how you know a lot has been written about rates of suicide have gone up and up over the past you know decade or so and i wonder how much of that is like a feedback loop when you hear other people doing it either in your friend group or people you know and you're like oh maybe i don't know there could be something to that too but I hope Gerard Carmichael's in a better place than he was when he wrote this. Like, yeah. he, he yeah. was still in the closet when this was written and produced. Um, yeah. I'm sure that had something to do with his miserable mental state when writing this. I, I, I bring him so. up so much as a, like, person outside the movie because, like, this is, like, quintessential Sundance to me. And I know there are a bunch of different types of movie that come through Sundance, but this reminds me of, like, what I think of when I think of the festival, which is, like... People who are only famous to people who pay attention to media all the time. So, like, 
my parents don't know who Gerard Carmichael or right. Christopher Abbott are, but like I see them all the time and, and stuff. And if you're going to invest in the Gerard Carmichael story, like if you watch his stand-up specials and are like interested in him as a person, then you're more invested in the movie being good. And like Sundance is like kind of a playground for these like sort of marginally famous people to like try their hand at being a director. So like Brie Larson will direct a movie and it'll go to Sundance. And then like most people will not have seen it when it goes direct to Hulu like a year later. And like, I think he could write a great film if he has enough movies like this to like play around with these ideas and like maybe not center himself so much in the story. Like, I don't know that his, performance ever outshines Christopher Abbott who's yeah. like more of a legitimate actor like agree it just reminds me of like how many movies are like this where it's like more or less like disposable or like seasonal so like you watch it a couple times and you just sort of forget about it people trying their hand at being directors and then pushing all these like hot button issues because that's what festival stuff is for you're supposed to have like a little miss sunshine style movie where like Steve Carell tries to be a, a serious actor for the first time playing a suicidal character who's um, just come out of the closet or I can't remember exactly what happened in that movie because it came out so long ago. Maybe that's it. <laughs> but, okay, sure. <laughs> but like, you know what I mean? Like, I, I feel like there's a very sun template to this mm-hmm. and I'm glad that he used that to get a movie under his belt and I would be really excited to see another one from him. It just felt very like sweaty and thin in some ways. We're like pre-credits. I think this movie's like 77 minutes. And like you said, it feels pretty slack in the middle. Yeah. So like, it feels like he just didn't have quite enough of what he was doing to like fill all the time. And honestly, that's why I I originally was going to pick Emily the Criminal for this episode. But this is similar to that film in a way where like, it's not perfect. Like it, with Emily the Criminal, which I really liked too, but it was like the first two thirds of it, fucking great, thrilling. And it totally falls off at the end for me. And this one, it's like a great beginning, a fantastic ending, and a lot of fluff yeah. in the middle. It's like, it's close to being yeah. like really, really good. It just kind of missed it a little bit. But to me, that's like what an honorable mention yeah. should be, you know? Yes. I think this is, <laughs> I think this is more interesting than Emily the yeah. Colonel and more personal. Yeah. And I do want to hear more from this voice that like, before 2022 i had no idea who he was really yeah that honesty like again i appreciate him using that honesty about you know depression and suicide like it felt like that was the strongest part of the movie to me and i agree with james that like the beginning is great the ending like totally rocked me the first time i saw this but i kind of like forgot about the middle but i feel like he does have a lot of insight and it is totally valuable to have that in like wide distribution yeah most films that deal with those topics i think usually talk about in a like obviously suicide is bad don't do it but and this felt like very complicated like true like him really wrestling with these feelings and like kind of debating in his head um and i and to do that and also be funny right that that's what I, I found refreshing about it. Yeah, and it's normally not actually grappling with the thoughts that a suicidal person has in a legitimate way. It's always like like this person is a sob story and then they commit suicide. It's from the perspective of someone watching them, basically. But this is like I don't know, it felt very honest. Like 
And I think it's good not to shut the existence of those thoughts out. What about, you, you, you know, your avatar does not look like you and then uh, someone doesn't like you in real life? Oh, well, that's certainly something that the documentary raises. You know, in this space, we can find such deep connections with people and speak to each other personality to personality. But in the same way, we can be someone else if we want to. We can experiment and play with our, our body and embody different avatars. And that has positives and negatives, but as does much of social media on the internet, you know, it's not the first time we've seen that, but you know, it is coming into virtual reality as well. That's certainly an issue. Yeah. So my honorable mention is my number 11 on my list and it's um, Aileen, which is this amazing knockoff of like Celine Dion's life in a film that I didn't know that I desperately needed. (laughs) So Valerie Lemercier, I've not really seen any film she's been in, but I know she's like a pretty prominent French actress, director, and singer. I think um, she's like their Adam Sandler, though. Like she's usually a comedian, mm-hmm. or like maybe they're like um, Tracy Ullman or something. Something like that. Yeah. Okay. So she pulls um, a Streisand in this. <laughs> Which is interesting because there's a moment in the film where there's an homage to Barbara mm-hmm. for a second with some um little like white little stickers. White stickers oh to make God. Streisand nails. So she wrote, directed, and she stars in this film. And she stars as the main character, Aline, which is essentially Celine Dion. And she plays um this character from the age of like eight to the age of like 40 something and she's a 58 year old woman older than celine dion in real life oh yeah and plays the younger version of her (laughs) plays her as a child yeah um (laughs) so essentially that's what this is this is a way a film that's kind of loosely based on celine dion's life but it's not stupid like you hear about it and you think it's going to be this silly ridiculous thing and there's some ridiculous parts to it but it's actually a pretty good movie and if i was celine dion i would be like i'd be like oh wow this is really nice thank you um i don't know if she's watched it yet i think there's been like some um she hasn't commented on it but one of her children had asked to have a screening of yeah, it yeah a something. private screening i would love to have her on this podcast where are you celine, <laughs> celine. tell us what you thought celine please our first celebrity is celine dion we have to come up with something to do for our 200th episode this year is it um, gonna be her we have to have celine dion on it's <laughs> the only way we can do it yeah i'll email her yeah, you know yeah. <laughs> see what she's up to well at least we know we could get like a fake one because there's a lot of (laughs) oh my god that would be great so it starts off where it's celine dion's parents and how they meet and how they're like oh her father's like i don't want to have kids and they have like fucking 14 of them and they have they also have a family band and they're fun and canadian in the quebec county and 
little Aileen shows up. At first, we only see like her eyes while she's like hiding under a table or hiding on the end of a stage because it's this 58 year old woman's face transposed on a child's body. <laughs> I feel like it's teasing you. I'm like, I want to see her face so bad. Right. And then get you her out of that table. Like, <laughs> so out. what's so cool is young Celine Dion had a very prominent snaggle tooth and she has it in here, mm-hmm. which is insane. So it's like, they've done like a CGI snaggle tooth too on her as she's a child how was this done like blew me away completely <laughs> um but at first when i saw it i thought it was funny and like the n- second time around i was like it's kind of sweet <laughs> that she's playing a child um i want to say that the reason for that is it makes it less icky whenever 12 and 15 year old versions of her starts to develop romantic feelings for her much older male manager yeah like it doesn't seem as gross because you know oh it's not really a 15 year old actress it's a 58 year old woman on the body of this 15 year old actress but this film could have taken that to a different level because that's a big thing right celine dion in real life and her relationship with Rene. um you know it's like oh god this guy's you know met her whenever she was 12 obviously he groomed her got married but this doesn't like poke fun at that it kind of makes it seem like sweet like oh she had a crush on him and he appreciated her and her artistic talents and he eventually fell in love with her when she was a little older through a ring and some chocolate ice cream i definitely felt a little uncomfortable during that but the movie kind of worked where I was like, all right, it's sweet. It's not as gross right. as it is on paper. She's mature for her age, you know? Right. Uh, it's like, oh, God. Yeah. God. But they, they do like constantly remind you of how old she is at every stage of her life. They're like, you were a 12-year-old girl. Right. I'm only 17. Mom, I'm 20. I have the right to start with a relationship I want. Like, right. They're constantly reminding you of how old she is. It's not like you ever forget right. that she's way too young for yeah, this guy. Yeah, but I do think they're is some mental gymnastics that you can do looking at her face knowing she's an adult. Right. Where it's like, yeah, if it had been a actual 15-year-old holding his picture in her bed, I would have felt <laughs> totally differently. Exactly. And they definitely do portray it as like, like he has these feelings of affection, but he would never dare act upon them. And then she is the instigator, like, yeah. I want this, I want this, I want this. So I do feel like, like, I'll just say I fucking love this movie. <laughs> <laughs> I, a second time, I didn't like it any less. And it is totally manipulating you. Like, and I do feel uncomfortable with how well it manipulated me both times. I almost cried. When there's that scene where she's like going to town on a hamburger and shoving fries in her mouth and he's eating his carrot puree. Right. And then she like writes like BB, BB. to yeah. show, hey, I'm pregnant. And I'm like, this is so sweet. Yeah. And I'm like, God, this is weird, old man. Right. And <laughs> even the first day after they have sex for the first time and they're both sitting at different tables reading their newspapers and she like cuts a little hole out in her Just newspaper to, to look at him. him. And he's like, oh, like hiding behind. And I was like, 
everything in my body was like, this is so sweet. Oh, look at this. And then there's 1% that's like, this is fucking, this <laughs> like, is weird. Remember, this is not good. Don't right. forget. But in real life, you know, ha- yeah. they get married. She like they has nothing together. but nice things to say about their yeah, time exactly. on the together. stayed together yeah. forever. Yeah. I mean, yeah, she never was with anyone else. They had three children. Mm-hmm. I mean, he passed away. But yeah, like there's no controversy right. that ever came out. And you know, she was, I mean, huge age gap. But for all I know, she was of legal age, you know? So yeah. it's, I don't know. I, but that's indicative of, like, the whole movie. Like, <laughs> I I remember when we saw this in theaters very early in 2022. When I saw it in theaters, I was the only one. <laughs> the <laughs> only one, wow. An empty room besides me. The only reason we went was for the Uncanny Valley yeah, stuff right. that I had read about. And, you know, we talk about this scene early on when she's a kid. I was like, yes, this is what I came for. This is garbage. I love it. (laughs) But oddly enough, like the movie started working its charm on me. I was like, oh, wait, am I actually like getting emotionally invested? Mm -hmm. What is happening? And it's the same thing with their relationship where I'm like, my logical brain knows this is gross and grooming. (laughs) But But then the movie is working. I'm like, it's really sweet. I really love them together. And that's kind of like my journey with this movie. The whole way. I got to say, it took me a second viewing for this podcast to fully come on board with this reading. (laughs) (laughs) Like when I first saw it, like I gave it like an okay review. I was like, yeah, I I thought it Mm -hmm. looked weird. It was strange. And it like nailed the few things I know about Celine Dion. Yeah. She makes goofy faces. Yep. She can sing incredibly well. And she had a really weird relationship with her manager who's like way older than her. (laughs) The movie hits all three of those points pretty hard. Yep. And like. I thought it was like a very interesting movie about a very goofy person that mm-hmm. is famous. Watching it a second time where I'm not like trying to figure out what it's doing or like, yeah. you know, why is this comedian doing this very sincere portrait? Is she having a laugh or is she like fully committed? Yeah. This second time I was just like took it as a full sincere bio. Yeah, yes. absolutely. And it's really effective. Yep. Like, I would bump my star rating a half star up at least. Yeah. And I think that's doing. the uh. thing too. We're asking like, why the creative decision to interject herself as like the child version. And I think it's just as much of, it's like a love letter to Celine Dion. Yeah. No question. She loves she Celine loves yes. Celine. So interjecting herself, if I'm going to play Celine Dion, I'm going to play all of Celine Dion. Yeah. Yes. I feel like she got exactly what she wanted by what you were talking about earlier, Brittany, like confirmation that Celine Dion saw this movie was the only reason this movie exists. <laughs> Valerie LaMercier just wanted some kind of right, interaction yeah. with Celine Dion, even vicariously. Because there was nothing like negative about anything no. of her life in here. Like if anything, it just shows like how she balanced this, you know, relationship right. with this massive career. Like, yeah, I mean, she's like, internationally yeah. famous like massive when you think of celine dion like i think of like whitney houston celine dion barbara streisand mariah carey like just these powerhouse you know vocalists that are unmatched and like everyone knows their songs yeah. they're loved everywhere and it's like it's huge but like she celine according to this movie was able to you know kind of carry it all 
Yeah. Which is insane. Yeah. And remain like humble, humble and goofy woman. and With her funny. little, her Papa's yeah. coin in her hand. That's right. Oh my God. Anytime the Papa coin oh. came out, tears. Dead. I think it even <laughs> goes past that though, where it's like in the later like Vegas era, mm-hmm. it's like, I know that you're lonely and your mm, talents yeah. have isolated you and you have not lived the full family life that you would want to yeah. live. Like, it's like, I see you more than other people mm. see you. I'm the biggest fan in the world who gets you. And I also, I remember when this came out, I think that Aretha Franklin movie had come out mm-hmm. not that far oh, before. yeah. And I, when I was watching, yeah. I was comparing the two and like, the Aretha Franklin is more the like standard Hollywood, like, we're still going to touch up your life and make it seem a little more perfect than it was and seem, make you seem a little more perfect than you actually were, but not really coming from a place of like true affection for the artist. And this is like unabashedly Celine Dion is fucking great. I love her (laughs) and I am going to present her in the best way. It was like not a watered down version of someone's life. It's like a true fan that knows everything there is to know about Celine Dion and is coming from a place of love and it's just like it gushes out onto the screen. Yeah. So I am a fan of Celine Dion. And I thought it was so interesting how they plucked like certain songs. And I'm sure it had to deal with how they got the what rights. rights they yeah. yeah. I'm sure they would have had It's All Coming Back to Me Now as the big barn burner at the end instead of whatever French pop tune is there because so, they couldn't afford it. There's one song that I can't remember the name of the album. But it was one of the first CDs that I ever bought and it had My Heart Will Go On on it, which is why I got it. Because I was like, Titanic rules. <laughs> but there was like a song that she raps in. Holy what? shit. Yeah, but they played it in here. <laughs> so it's like, lady, treat her like a lady. Oh, yeah, 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 but yeah. like there's this like interesting oh, yeah. like rap that she does like in between like the chorus of that song. And I was like, holy shit, they put this one up That's in here. That's a deep cut. Yeah, Four fans <laughs> a sweet deep cut. Yeah. So I was yeah. really excited. They should have had her songs from the Peanut Butter Solution in here. <laughs> oh my god! Yes, that's a deep cut. Wow. I thought that the heart will go on portion of this film was really interesting. Yeah. Like she hears the music and she's like, "I'm not really into it." And then she sings it, and we never hear about it again. Yeah. Like, and I felt like, <laughs> like that. Did she not want to do that? Yeah. I felt like that was probably true to life, too. Like, yeah. I was watching this other, I started watching this other Celine Dion movie right after I watched this one, and I didn't finish it. But it was like, there was a lot of focus on that song. And maybe they go into how she felt about it or not. But yeah. like, for people that do not know Celine Dion, like me, before I watched this movie, that is like the quintessential Celine Dion. That's the the one that they've heard, you That's know? That's like, she was prominent before that, but like right. that was like her, yeah. her shit. So like the fact that they didn't make that into like her star, like, oh, I love, you know, it's like, that seemed like she probably didn't like that song and she did it because. Okay. But you're hearing that and it's like, this is a anecdote that. Le Mercier read in a right. magazine or like there's like multiple <laughs> yes. um, scenes that are thing. like recreations of famous talk show appearances Celine Dion or like yeah. her Eurovision yeah so it's like stuff that Le Mercier stuff. watched on TV yeah. right dude I don't a, care I don't care exactly <laughs> it's like, all real after, after I saw this movie I read her entire Wikipedia and reading all of it's in here the Wikipedia is like I was like oh yeah there was that scene in the movie <laughs> right. that totally t- it's like 
yeah, it's all the knowledge that you could get right. as a fan. Right. And there was something about like she really didn't care for my heart would go on and she had to sing it so many times she got sick of it. Brittany mentioned a ketchup ad the first time we brought this up. Yes. And even the ketchup oh, gets yeah. a shout out. Ketchup on ketchup. Yeah. yeah it yeah. was a, a commercial that would play over and over again. Yeah. And then also <laughs> the thing too where it's like, all my love songs are for Renee. Yeah. But I couldn't say anything. <laughs> so like it's funny, like if you look at it, it's like uh, you know, it's a fake character that we've freely fictionally right. adapted from Celine Dion. And not really. It's like a very faithful illustration of all public available yeah, right. knowledge about Celine Dion. <laughs> so here's the thing. <laughs> yeah. This, it's, Le Mercier is fucking brilliant. Yes. Like, who else has done something Mm-mm. like this? Like, if you tell people that, well, then Brandon, you saw this movie and you told me about it. I'm like, that sounds fake. Like, this sounds insane and like i believed you but i was like there's no way that this is real seeing this in an amc theater was a surreal experience it's so bizarre but it's so wonderful and yeah. like i want more biopics like this like seriously yeah. kind of fake biopics that aren't yeah, but, right. but are more, fake to actually i would get rather this than like bohemian right. rhapsody did y'all watch oh, the weird Al movie i, have not. I haven't watched pretty it funny. i don't know okay yeah. that one's 100 percent fake and like making him out to be this like hedonistic rock star and that's like that's the joke is that he actually has a squeaky clean life but it's like making a myth out of him and right. not but actually I think, adapting his story but that's clever and if it comes from a place of genuine appreciation yeah then it worked like well and it also comes that comes from a place of weird al yankovic yeah yeah he yeah. had a like creative force <laughs> but i can imagine right. like with Aretha Franklin, Bohemian Rhapsody. It's like executives sitting around, like, what's popular in the right. They're not really like true fans. Yeah. Right. It's just like, Mark, like, okay, yeah. what can yeah. make us some also, laborers- Usually, the surviving family have say about what you can and cannot do. Yeah, that's true. Where yeah. this felt so unhinged and so, like, of love yeah. coming from love that, like, I don't know. I want to see me over. a Mariah Carey one like this where it's, like, called Melissa or something. <laughs> yes, more. You know what I yeah. mean? And I'm the yeah. fan that makes it. So I just want to <laughs> say, I re-listened to when <laughs> I talked about this earlier, but, like, I just want to, I hadn't seen it since, like, April, and I thought maybe I was wrong. Maybe I didn't love it as much as I thought I did. You know, maybe it was just... I was, stars were you in my were eyes. So right. I I was right. I so was right. right again. Yeah. So like this <laughs> movie was not made for me. I did not know anything about Celine Dion. I hate biopics. There was nothing about this that should have appealed to me, and I fucking loved it. There were just all of these sweet little de- like I love the stickers on her nails. Yes. I love when they're like her family is. Um, talking to the manager for the first time and they're like pretending to shuffle through her agenda and there's like a thing of knickknacks like I love the carrot puree I love the the napkins when she loses her voice and like you can see all the napkins the obsession with her song being played in the Vatican right yeah the Vatican, the Vatican. The Vatican. yeah it's just like it is Fun just su- and her relationship with the makeup artist like and their like how that sustains over the years and I have like I have no idea how much of it maps onto Celine Dion but it is such a joyful like sweet pleasurable movie it's just wonderful and honestly watching it again I was like why was this so low on it is on my top 20 but I was like it should have been higher I I can't lie to myself I love it I love (laughs) it so for all of those who had this beautiful connection to it 
I recommend on Canada's Drag Race, Priyanka <laughs> does a lip sync for your life to Celine Dion's like Drive All Night. Oh, and yeah. I cried great for one. it. Ugh. It's so, so good. Not a great show overall. But that was like one Priyanka, of the best like lip sync performances yeah. ever. Because that's a, a fabulous like Celine Dion song. Yeah. But whoo, taken to another level. Well, we do have another um, entertainment industry drama. That's true. We do. Um, and it is my number 16, um, Lux Eterna, which was directed by Gaspar Noe. Um, also, Lux Eterna was also the name of a Metallica song released <laughs> last year. Yes. Uh, which it's not a great song, but there was some overlap. It so. was a Metallica song from 2022. That's <laughs> so. true. Yeah. They both came out the same year. Um, oh, actually, well, anyway, I think this was technically, it was released in like, the wide release was last year. Yeah, it went to Shudder last year. Yeah. I don't think it was like publicly available outside yeah. of festivals still then. It was like 2019? Yeah, it was 2019. Gotcha. Okay. East yeah. St. Laurent Ooh. funded this Fashion. movie. And uh, yeah, I don't know what the distribution path was like, but it's like right. a 40 minute short. So like, what do you do with that right. in theaters? But now it's here. Yeah, it's a short, hot little movie. It's about a production of a modern movie about witches and it stars Beatrice Dalle and Charlotte Gainsbourg playing fictionalized versions of themselves so it opens with this like very short kind of like documentary footage about witches and uh witch burning and it's it's about like witches in film and also like the treatment of women in film and media generally so after this little documentary segment it cuts to um charlotte and beatrice and a split screen and they're having this discussion about like witches in film and also like giving each other anecdotes about their experiences in film especially like dealing with men like the things that directors have put them through for films and then it segues into the production of this fake film. Beatrice is the director of the film, and she's having like conflicts with the director of photography and the producers. Like the producers want to get her fired so the DP can be the director. So like the DP is being um, intentionally antagonistic towards her. Uh, there are delays in getting the filming started. There's just like kind of general discord amongst like the actors and the crew. Like there's a lot of confusion. And then eventually the production starts and there's this technical issue where there is there are flames that are supposed to be like projected on this back screen where these it's like an led screen so yeah like a, instead of like a traditional projection right. it's like that like um marvel does that now where like the entire room is this like high-tech led like yeah. backdrop that's like back right yeah it's right it's like it's like a tv screen right basically right. like a huge but tv huge, screen yeah yeah so there are these like three actresses including charlotte gainsbourg in the middle with this backdrop of flames and then the like the LED screen starts glitching and like strobing these colors and like the DP refuses to stop filming and Beatrice is trying to stop them because the actor like she's trying to get them down and she's screaming and getting more and more frustrated <laughs> and there's just like this culmination of this tension that has been bubbling 
And there's also this character that kind of like reminded me of Gaspar Noe, who's trying to pitch his film idea to, to yeah. Charlotte Gainsbourg about like, you know, like death and endlessness. And I feel like the film was really talking about like these directors like Lars von Trier and Gaspar Noe, like filmmakers in like French extremism that have put these women through these kind of like horrific ordeals for the sake of art. Beatrice Dalle was a part of French yeah, extremism. She was yeah, she was an inside. Charlotte Gainsbourg has been in, you know, a couple of Lars von Trier films, including yeah, Antichrist. yeah, Nymphomaniac was like five and a half hours of like sex and sadomasochism, and and obviously Gaspar Noé has made like he's involved in the movement too. So I thought it was, I mean, it's super short. Like I don't know, it it just doesn't take any time at all. But I really appreciated that he was kind of self reflective like it felt like a self-reflective film yeah and there's all those like quotes from like directors yeah. like you must put your heart on the screen right. or like yeah a director like really bears their soul to the world but like you're seeing that in contrast to these women who are actually bearing the brunt of right all exactly yeah. yeah yeah um so i just thought you know vortex from gaspar noe placed a little bit higher on my list um than this one i feel like Maybe it was lacking a little bit of like substantiality, but I don't know. I thought it was like a super interesting kind of short entry into 2022. It felt so aggressive. Yeah. For like how, <laughs> yeah. how short it was. Like, I'm glad it was short. Yeah. I yeah. can't handle that strobe oh, shit at the end. That's oh my God. Yes. Ep epilepsy inducing. I don't have epilepsy, but. I can slightly I had like empathize. Away. I knew with that it was coming. Epileptic so I people now turned off all the lights in my house <laughs> oh, just to get so the most out of it. And it was on this big TV. It was just like Ooh. literally like making me physically ill. It's like projectile <laughs> vomiting. I loved it. Yeah, I mean, just like film is like physically like it's physicality. Like I want to mm -hmm. vomit. Yeah, yeah. looking yeah. at this. Right. It kind of made me think like where I'm like how. Can something like just light and sound and like motion right. like make me feel like this? Yeah. It just like blew me away. And that image too of like she's this witch being burned at the oh, stake and screaming. she slowly gets like engulfed in mm -hmm. the flames. And it's like we're getting engulfed in the flames too. Just like my brain is melting looking at this. <laughs> and you know, Brittany, <laughs> yeah. what you were saying, like all of those things being so physically kind of repulsive. <laughs> yes. It's it's like I've heard that argument about these filmmakers in general of like, yeah, they put these women through these horrible things, but they made like great art out of it. Yeah. So, you know, and it's not real, it's art. But like right. all of those things have a real impact on you. Like it's not like flashing a light at my face will make me feel physically sick. Yeah. I think that's what's special about it too is like, okay, Vortex and this are kind of like sister films yeah. based on like how they were made, like that split screen thing. And yeah. then they both came out around the same time into wide distribution. So let's think about them as a pair. Yeah. And like in Vortex, I feel like he's talking about how much he hates his body mm -hmm. and like mm. the impermanence of like being on this earth and like addiction and like just your brain and your heart will eventually give out no matter how well you live your life. Like you will die oh God. either way. Yeah. And then this one, it's like, I hate my job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Beatrice Dolly walking around with all these men, like undermining every decision mm -hmm. she makes and like talking shit to her, to the rest of the crew and like really like pulling power from under her 
to where she is just so stressed out the entire time. Um, Feels like any number of like backstage filmmaking things from like living to oblivion Mm -hmm. to uh, black bear. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. But the thing that makes it special is like pushing through all of that stress and chaos still reaches this like transcendent black magic. Yeah. And like, through the process of making this like chaotic thing, the people watching it at home don't see that backstage stuff. They just see the final product. And to us, it's this psychedelic freak out. And like the ritual of all these people squabbling and undercutting each other becomes like a black magic ritual in itself. Mm, yeah. And like the result at the end of that magic is fucked up and dark and upsetting and like mesmerizing and i i love it like yeah i'm just sitting there like really upset but like entranced and it's the same feeling i got from climax but like it gets there quicker um and maybe with more like bitching (laughs) yeah and i don't know i was thinking about a movie we saw in theaters together the house that jack built yeah which is like lars von trier's kind of version of this like a director that is knows that he's like put women through the ringer and he's making like a meta commentary about like, was it worth it to do that? Like maybe you do got to crack a few eggs to make an omelet, but maybe I'm a piece of shit. And like, but this was a much more like, like you said, kind of transcendent, ritualistic, just a much more interesting version of that, like introspection that these like male extreme directors have like kind of looked inward on. God, the, those shots at the end of Beatrice Dolly, like watching the work fall apart yeah, and not yes. able to stop it, mm-hmm. and just like screaming, like "Please, stop! won't someone please stop!" Yeah. Yeah. That's why I thought the split screen worked really uh-huh. well in this. Like, I would imagine to be a director, there's a lot of multitasking. Like, you, your brain's got to be in a bunch of different. You're places. just answering right. questions in every direction. Yeah. yeah, and like when you're as a viewer, you're watching the split screen. You're like, "Where do I put my focus on?" Is it this conversation over here? Is it this over it's here? Like and it's like, gotta go through. yeah, it's like what the director has to go through. And it's just like, I mean, also there's like a psychotronic effect where like the left side of your vision is flashing one color and the right side is flashing another. And like it alternates in a way that like your brain can't actually make sense of the two colors at once. No, you have to pick. No, I mean, at the end, like, it's not that you can even go back and forth. It's like, um, I'm thinking of, like, the red and blue, like, classic 3D glasses. Like, it's, Mm. like, tricking your brain into having this, like, you're seeing something that's not actually there because you can't keep up with, like, the frame rate of what's on the screen, both sides of the screen at the same time. It's just bizarre. Like, I don't even know what else to say about it. But nothing else looks like that. And minutes after the movie's over it's hard to like readjust and like look at another object yeah i like i think after it was immediately i was like i gotta take a walk like look look at a squirrel or something that makes sense it's also funny i I was thinking um just now earlier when we were talking about the sundance type thing where like people are only famous to media obsessives like how i mentioned that and like Charlotte Gainsbourg playing a character called Charlotte. Yeah. Or like um, Abby Lee, who was in like Neon Demon and stuff, just plays mm-hmm. Abby yeah. in the movie. Right. And she's playing an actress. Uh, Carl Glusman is the Carl. like Noe stand in and he just plays Carl. Yeah. And it's like, that guy's famous to me. He was in one of my favorite movies last year. He was in um, Please Baby Please. Yeah. Like, that's Carl Glusman. <laughs> but like for most people, who gives a shit? Like, I've never right. seen that guy before in my life. So it's just funny, like, the in-jokes of, like, artsy stuff. Especially if you watch No Way movies. I think a lot of those people have been in his stuff, too. And I do agree with Hannah that that one character is Gaspard No Way. Yeah. Yeah. Like, he's wearing a leather jacket, and he's, like, (laughs) 
oh, my films are about existentialism. Right. And he's like he's bald giving in like, the same way. Like, yeah, a synopsis of like Enter the Void. Yeah. I think I he's making fun of himself too. Yeah, though, absolutely. He's like an LA yeah. douchebag and like yeah. Carl Glusman's making fun of himself too. Oh, okay. Yeah. Like, like Abby Lee and him have worked together before on Neon Demon, and she's like, Carl, this is not the time. You know, like <laughs> Yeah. There's like a familiarity with this little subset of European yeah. provocateurs that right. like helps inform the backstage squabbling a little bit. Mm. But th- this did feel more like actual like skewering yourself yeah. in a way that House of Jack built didn't that felt more like it's all worth it that movie pissed me off yeah yeah yeah, (laughs) i know it did i know it did i haven't (laughs) seen the house that jack built but i've seen the trailers and you've talked about it and it feels self-indulgent in a way that uh, but this is like it feels self-reflective and the women are the main characters of the story yeah versus like this man monologuing about like oh what you know is what i did worth it and in that one he like acknowledges that he is a provocateur in like the worst way he's like this is what i do and like this is how i get a rise out of you and provoke you and like i know that like this is immoral stuff that i'm doing but i do it for fun right and after he acknowledges that then he does it for real afterwards like (laughs) yeah it's like i know what i'm doing i'm fully aware now Mm -hmm. watch me do it again yeah and it's like god damn you (laughs) yeah it felt more meaningful to have two women i really liked that conversation in the beginning of just like two women kind of bitching about all of the shit that they have to go through like that means so much more than like having a man stand in for you saying like yeah i i know what i'm doing um i also just loved like the kind of two generation like charlotte and beatrice talking together like that just felt like it just felt lovely and i just love gasper noah like i love where his careers went like watching like irreversible in college and be like damn that was messed up like this guy's fucked and then you know enter the void is like such a trippy Mm -hmm. i don't know just like along the way he's done so many interesting things and like evolved as a filmmaker where like this one in Vortex are super interesting. Like he's going unique places. Like you know when you watch a Gaspar Noé film. Yeah. From the it's first frame. what to expect a little bit too. I've yeah. been trying to like him for a long time. And I think Climax is like where it finally clicks. Climax Clim- so yeah, cool. Climax yeah. and these, you know, yeah. this one and he's on a hot Vortex, streak. he is. Yeah. I haven't seen Love, but I, I was reading interviews about it and he was – I think someone asked him why he thought it was so successful. And he was like, people needed to like masturbate during yeah. the pandemic. You can see Carl <laughs> Glusman have sex on screen. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> Wonderful. I guess I have one more like psychedelic visual experience oh, that we yeah. can talk about. Oh, uh, God, my only movie from 2022 that I don't think anybody else saw. So Mm-mm. I guess I wanted someone else to talk to me about this. I thought it was really <laughs> weird. It is. We met in virtual reality. Uh, It premiered at Sundance and then went straight to HBO later in the same year. It is a, or it is the uh, first documentary (laughs) filmed entirely in VR. It's set in this virtual reality platform called VR Chat, which kind of blew up during the pandemic. And the movie, a lot of it is shot in late 2020, early 2021, where a lot of like interactions pre-vaccines were like very online. And... Unlike what you would expect from a virtual reality documentary, it's not screen grabs of conversations that this director's having in the thing. They actually have a program that acts as a camera. So, like, the camera has a point of view in the frame. So, it's kind of shot like a traditional documentary. Yeah. Like, there are establishing shots. There's, like, 
dollies and like sweeping kind of motions yeah. and there's different environments that he interviews people in so kind of in that reality show format where people have like a sides to the camera like confessionals there's a lot of that as well we follow i want to say three couples even though one of them's not romantic two of them met in stripping class in the vr chat uh where like one of them is a stripper um and has learned how to strip in vr because it does that like body scan like in bell that anime yeah. we watched last year where like it tracks your like i believe elbows and knees and like hips so your character your avatar mm-hmm. follows around your body motions and your it. hands and your hands mm-hmm. as we'll learn <laughs> yes so amateur stripper and her boyfriend who eventually get married in the film what's yeah. his name like wolfheart or something, something like that he dragon ta- heart dragon because he has a tattooed on his body uh the other couple that are romantic uh one is a belly dance instructor and her boyfriend toaster yes <laughs> um and the third couple are a friend couple so like mm-hmm. one of them is a hearing person who has learned um american sign language and teaches classes in the uh the vr world and then her friend does not speak out loud because they are deaf and they um sign in the thing and she translates for him and they have like a very close relationship and she helps him get through a loss in his family there's like a um basically his like brother. his brother dies and like she helps be like community for him in a time where he's basically isolated mm-hmm. um and i believe the belly dancer couple she um and him are actually visiting each other in real life uh via plane but um because of border constrictions like traveling at the time was very restricted so they'll go like months if not years without seeing each other and like they exist in the same space in vr chat okay this movie is so fucking weird (laughs) uh kind of like aileen i find it very difficult to decide when i'm taking it sincerely and like feeling big emotions and like when i think it's like just fucking bizarre and like kind of a freak show i get big laughs out of the movie like when one of the belly dancer um, people who are taking the class like has a conversation with the instructor and is like, okay, goodbye, and then gets in an invisible car and just flies <laughs> off the screen. <laughs> I start laughing my ass off. Or like uh, Kermit the Frog has a cameo right. in the movie. Well, he goes to class, in the he's like, excuse me, but his voice sounds like Kermit. Kermit. Like, excuse me, but how do you sign this? And they, and they answer, and he's like, thank you. Thank and you. then he like just zooms away. Right. Like, the, like the scene where they're all like in the car, like going on a car ride and like the, their bodies are shifting in yeah. weird ways because yeah. they, they're not quite connected. <laughs> the VR like the doesn't VR. work exactly right. right. It's just like glitching. Yeah, right. that was just like, I was just like, huh? There yeah. were, I had so many feelings. Like, you go from this, I thought like the whole sign language course shit was so fucking cool. Yeah, Very cool. absolutely. And I'm like, this is actually really neat. And then like, then there's a hot dog trying yes. to tell me about gender. It's like a little green <laughs> hair. Is, yeah. It's like these really in-depth, like, I can be any gender I want, which is why I'm a hot dog. And then there's a hot dog. <laughs> at the end, it's like, okay, I'm listening, and then it's just this little hot dog. Right. I'll say, I mean, also, hot dogs are arguably one of the most phallic foods. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, You're absolutely you know. right. I think it's funny that in a movie that, like, proposes that in this utopia anybody can present right. any body anyway, they want right. i'm a hot dog because of the self-selection like nerd stuff <laughs> yeah everybody wants to be a hot lady hot, with a tail right hot <laughs> everybody big, wants to be hot anime yeah, okay big-titted yeah. anime <laughs> chick the with ears the wedding yes the biggest the titties giant, in the dress these giant breasts and she's like oh my goodness just crying but like her, <laughs> her titties, titties are just bouncing yeah. and then her friend who's also like this hot anime 
Everybody's character with a tail is like, yeah. you helped me so much. You were the first person I called when I had my child, and I'm so glad that I'm here with you. And I'm like, this is awesome. That's a great example of like, that scene looks bizarre when the bride is going down the <laughs> aisle and her big Russ Meyer titties are just swinging back and forth. <laughs> it's like, this is so weird and I do not connect with this. But then her friend saying like, you have been with me for the past two years when no one else could have been. You and been. your Russ Meyer titties. And I teared up. Yeah. Like the wedding speeches <laughs> were actually like emotionally affecting to yeah. me. Like I didn't, I didn't buy the relationship with the dragon heart that she married like but like it was cool to see that her her friend group like supporting her through this virtual wedding and like going dress shopping with her and everything like that i thought was so authentic but somehow i'm like ah oh, this guy I, I don't trust him he's I a sh- miami guy i struggled so much like my curmudgeon old man <laughs> yeah. kept bubbling oh. up the entire where it's and like, me and james were at odds it's very sincere Right. And I guess like my internal struggle was like, there are parts where it's like human beings that can't find a community in the real world mm-hmm. are finding it online. And that is great. That is like the best of what the internet can offer. Yet there was part of me that was coming at this like, this is horrifying. And this is scary. And this is like, what the future like, looks like. Don't and, want that to be the future. And it's like dark and I'm disturbed by it. I and totally like, agree with you. I think that's what makes it great, though. Yeah, like, yeah. I think the movie presents this like utopian yeah. online society, but you as a viewer, as a cynic, are like, what am I looking at? Yes. What are these people it's up like, to? It seems unhealthy, though. Yes. Like, there's this one scene where the one who led the sign language class like gets on her cool-ass ATV, and <laughs> she's like like lying down and watching the fake sky by herself and yes. I'm like yeah. like you should be able to do that right now we, like we in talk, real life we talked about that exact scene with the fake sky cuz she like, says like I'm actually in my living room laying on the carpet looking right. at the ceiling like go outside, like, go outside and outside. look at the sky you don't what have to are talk to anybody like she's like I wish the clouds would move it's like they do that outside <laughs> <laughs> get out there so, I don't know like it was a fascinating watch like but I there was so much inner like debate and turmoil while I was watching. I was like, is this good? Is this the worst thing ever? I'm horrified. I'm entertained. Like a lot, like you said, a lot of different emotions. Yeah. Or like going on who's it. like 12 years old and who's like 70. Like that freaks me out. Cause there is a big thing about, um, it's almost like coming out of the closet, but like unmuting. So like yeah. a lot of these avatars are there in these physical spaces and like physically interacting but they don't unmute their microphones. Yeah. So you don't know who you're interacting with really. Yeah. And that's supposed to be like a big enlightening thing. Like, oh, I could be a different gender and no one would ever clock me on it. But like, also I could be 12 years old and like taking these lap dance classes. With some yeah. seven year old. With some yeah. old man. Right. I know. Bizarre. Uh, it's just weird. Like I've never seen anything yeah. like this but before. Like, it's when, so weird. When me and James were- Should just, I do it? Yeah. I was so far. Like James and I were on opposite- sides and i i don't know i totally understood this and Uh like the purpose that it is serving for people like i just i don't know i i feel a lot of compassion for well first of all it was during the pandemic so it's like people that you would normally meet up with in person like this is a way to meet up with them even we did that we didn't right record in person for like a couple years yeah But I just, like, I have a lot of compassion for people that do not know how to find communities in the real world, like, that it's difficult for them to, like, 
go to a bar, go to like a meetup or whatever, or even like knowing where to go. Mm. Um, and it just like, I thought it was so cool that you could have a sign language class, that you could have a belly dancing class online. Like that is, yeah. that at least can incorporate like real world skills that you have. And, <laughs> and that's a good point though. Like, cause would somebody like, ever take a belly dancing class in real life versus this like you know that but, takes a lot of guts to go out and do that where this gives you that ability being alive is like taking a risk and doing something out in the real world the classes are where my cynicism came out where i was really? like kind of with the bodies thing like okay it's a self-selecting group of people so like the type of person who would want to be a hot ass anime fox right. is the type of person who would buy less expensive vr equipment yeah sure but Within the entire spectrum of every way you can represent yourself on screen, for these like pre-existing IP characters and these like pre-existing anime mm-hmm. avatars being the go-to, feels like it actually shows like kind of the limitations of like human imagination. Yeah. Yes. And then also the classes, it would be cool if they were just skill sharing, but it's people who want to make a living doing that in VR and like they want to make money to sustain themselves. Mm-hmm. This is like galaxy brain shit, like we live in society shit, but like it's kind of sad to me that within the entire spectrum of the ways that people could interact in this like non-physical world, we default to capitalism and making money off of that. That, I mean, I had that that same thought where just like this isn't utopia. It's the same shit that humans always (laughs) do. And it's just as bad as what's happening in the real world and just as weird and terrible. And so it's like when uh, fucking Zuckerberg wanted to make the metaverse. The metaverse. And yeah. it's like, oh. you can go to a digital target. Yeah. Right. You can have like meetings, but you have your avatar. Who? It's still a fucking meeting. Like, or like Sundance had those... Um, like uh meetups and they were like virtual basically like an old school game boy version of like final fantasy where you're like a little avatar walking to like a fake bar yeah and it's like i could just be having a drink at a bar (laughs) bar. (laughs) and it would be just as awkward as what is happening in here like yeah if also something is like like body image issues like that's all i thought of because like unless you were a hot dog (laughs) or like or like a tiny little like fox floating right. around or kermit um you were this like unrealistic yeah. female where i'm like this is crazy so it just seems like really sad because like there's a 98 percent chance that the women who are these characters do not look anything like that in real life and they feel like this is their escape but they still have to like right. look a certain way i don't know that was really yeah, sad i also f- i felt like probably a lot of the women were also men like, yeah, yeah and a lot of them these... use he, him pronouns even yeah. in the female bodies. Right. I do th- think it's interesting, too, that, like, there's no fat or disabled or, like, right. just I... different bodied people. Everyone is, like, cinched waist, big old, like, animalistic butt because they have, like, right. basically <laughs> horse hind legs oh, <laughs> and a tail. Everyone's got a tail. <laughs> Throw a tail on it. Yeah. Um... I mean, I'm sure it feels good to, like, present as this, like, I would be a hot anime version. lady. <laughs> But like, I would be a hot dog. Fuck yeah. I would be, I would be a hot dog with the biggest tits you could ever imagine. <laughs> fuck yeah. Yeah, yeah. You would please so many people at once. <laughs> Riding around in that ATV. Like, oh my God. One hot dog and then two hot dog tits. Like other oh, like long hot dogs. They would just dogs. come out as yeah. more hot Right, dogs. more hot dogs. Yeah. Like, part, yeah, part of me is like, you know what? This is a way to go unleash this like 
these yeah. inner feelings you have and a way to like find a community that accepts all the weird shit you want to do but at the same time it's like don't get too into it like right. make, like do it maybe like three hours a week yeah so that scene that that scene where she's looking up at the clouds that reminded me of this movie the pink cloud that came I saw out that. yeah where she and it's it's kind of a similar idea like the the pink cloud is comes and like everybody has to self-quarantine and there's one woman who like desperately wants to leave and she just can't like and she's kind of getting stir crazy and she gets this vr set and like puts i think she puts sand out in her living room and is like pretending she's on the beach and she's just so deep in the Mm -hmm. fantasy it's like you can use this as a tool for making connections, especially when like you are actually like physically limited and who you can see and where you can go. Yeah. But like substituting nature for like fake virtual nature for real nature is a whole other thing. Yeah. Like, th- yeah. That freaked me out more than any other thing I saw in there. Yeah. Yeah, I was just thinking about how limited people's imaginations were. And yeah. like I was thinking of other movies too, but like Bell mm-hmm. and The Congress and Ready Player One. In all of those movies, they're set in these like virtual reality scapes and everyone chooses these existing characters that other right. people have created. It's like, I want to be Popeye the Sailor Man or I want to be, <laughs> insert whatever anime person right. I've ever heard of here. I want to be uh, Ghost in the Shell. Right. Yeah. And like... That is what happens, like, in real life. Like, when people are given the chance, they're like, I'm going to be my favorite character and right, not, like, right. I want to be... There's there's one hot dog in a sea of right. anime ladies, and it, I guess they're yeah, living their best life. Weird. But It's weird how it made me, like, <laughs> nostalgic for the early days of Facebook, where it was just, like, take a picture of yourself. That's your profile <laughs> pic. Say the things you... I like these now movies. Now you sound curmudgingly. <laughs> no, I know. It's like, here's the things I like. Here's my age. Look at me. This there's is who I am. And invite me... <laughs> invite me to this party or you know friend me and that's the end of it but like i don't know i just i don't know it may be nostalgic for that era of the internet but in a different way where like there are message boards for like niche interest communities Mm -hmm. that don't really exist in the same way that they used to like it used to be that the internet had all these little pockets for weirdos to like obsess over one thing together and yeah. like become insular and like involved in each other's lives through this like sort of parasocial system that I feel like has been sort of homogenized by the four platforms that all share right. each other's images on each other. So like I'm only on Twitter, but I see Instagram and TikTok posts on right. there because things are just sort of like they all flattened right. out. There, yeah, yeah. But, but not to get like you said two galaxy. Brain. do it that's what this is for <laughs> but isn't that kind of how human society usually goes wrong it's like when we're it's a small local community thing we can like take care of each other right. and look after each other when it starts to get like it's the same with government and when it gets like large scale yeah the systems break down and human nature shows its worst side and capitalism takes over and people hurt each other like it just seems like we keep repeating the same. That's why I'm glad this over was and over. documented when it was, though. Like, it feels yeah. like this is a very special moment in VR chat. It was very smart to get it in that quarantine era where, like, this is not super available, affordable technology mm-hmm. for, like, a bunch of people to be on it. Right. So, like, people who are in there are really into it. And, like, eventually the Zuckerbergs of the world want to make it so that everyone and their aunt are on VR. Right. 
and like fuck no capture it now when it's like a bunch of reality with you. a bunch of niche anime nerds you <laughs> yeah. know and not when it's like everyone's at the digital target well <laughs> i was reading some of the like letterbox reviews that were more current on this and a lot of people are like it isn't fucking not like that what happened like, it's more like a bunch of like assholes that just go around yeah. like doing stupid shit well, like and they it's not like this you know community where everybody's like supporting each other it's yeah just trash so i read this new york times article uh, it, it was in the metaverse i don't think it was in vr chat and it was the like the reporter took video kind of in the same way in the metaverse as she was like interviewing people and yeah you would just have like like hordes of like 15 year old boys like coming up to her and like uh, i don't yeah, know that's just, what, like, that makes sense yeah, yeah just like farting or yeah. being like boobs and then running away like right. stupid stuff like and that. i i mean i wonder if like it's it's very possible that that those communities didn't really exist on vr chat at the uh -huh. time but like also i don't think this documentary would have included that footage in there like they were trying to focus on the relationships in vr chat and like oh this is a way that people can connect in a way that's like unconventional it's like literally everything we make to try to connect ends up driving us further apart everything and like yeah this was just further proof but it does have a really hopeful tone. It does. And, no, and, and you do want to fight it the whole me. time. But <laughs> you want to support him. But like, I don't know. Like, I think Bell. I had this very close to my list on Bell because they're like kind of sister movies yeah. in my mind. And like, mm -hmm. yeah, Bell does a good job of like doing a little bit of both, where it's like yeah. this yeah. girl can find herself and become this like pop star in there. But like the amount of attention she gets is like yeah. really overwhelming and it negative. The downside yeah. a lot yeah. better. Yeah, this is more utopian than dystopian. Yeah, definitely. But I found it just like fascinating and like there's it nothing else quite it like fascinating. It. I also just want to shout out that the girl that was the sign language teacher because I thought she was a really good teacher. So sweet. Yeah, she's yeah. very sweet. I f I felt like her explanations of the signs. She was a good teacher. Were, it was yeah. really like illuminating too. Like yeah. the explanation oh, for some of the yeah. signs. Yeah. It's like next to yeah. like transgender is yes. like an open heart and yes. a change of heart. Yeah, yeah. it's yeah. I thought so. If you're listening to this, I thought you were great. You were great. You, you could be our <laughs> 200th episode celebrity guest. <laughs> <laughs> if we can't get bit. Celine Dion, that's right. <laughs> I love all the hot anime ladies in VR yeah. chat. I think you're so all many, special. Yeah. They, all those bouncing, those like bit. strangely bouncing titties in the Jeeps. Okay. One thing we didn't <laughs> talk about, and this is the last thing I'll say. I thought it was fascinating how like, even though those classes are cool, like the belly dancing class mm -hmm. is cool. The uh, sign language class, especially cool. The reason that people show up to those classes isn't really to learn. It's for the group photo. Yeah. They fucking oh, love yes. group photos. <laughs> right. They sure do. The glee that everyone <laughs> gathers in the single frame to like make cutesy I've, anime faces with I a piece of I forgot about the group photo. <laughs> yeah. I do also have to say Shit. like, as I was watching, because they have the belly dancing class and the ballroom dancing class. And I was like, this is cool, but I feel like most of these, I don't know if this is an effective class. Like 90% of the people were not doing right, it right. right. I was like, I don't know if this is really, I don't know. They're having a good time. Who am I to say? The lab dances as well. Like, yeah, I, they did include <laughs> like, um, you know, people were like really into it and like kind of yeah. silent, but they also included like women in the audience getting a lap dance and like giggling. Like, yeah. <laughs> This is so they, weird. They were like, if anyone's weird, they're getting kicked out of this club. And right. then like watching like all these people watch the lap dances, but it's like just a variety of animals and inanimate <laughs> objects. It's so hard. If I'm taking like, I don't know, a yoga class 
just looking at other humans at right. normal looking humans, it's hard to focus. Like I can't imagine like right. Kermit's looking at Kermit's and Hot Dog Boy and <laughs> Fox Man. Uh, we like, haven't talked about Mr. Hot Dog Boy in so long. Was that him? <gasps> oh my god! <laughs> well, next episode we will move on from 2022. Uh, Allie is making us watch Salesman, which is a um, documentary from the Males Brothers who did Grey Gardens. But it's about oh, Bible cool. salesmen. Oh, I've seen that. I haven't seen it. Is I it think good? I've it's seen good. that too. Is it wait about door to door salesmen? Yeah, yeah, I have seen I, that. I, I really enjoyed it. And yeah, it's got nice. some beautiful cinematography too. Cool. Just as important of a documentary as we met in virtual <laughs> reality. <laughs> wow, <laughs> two totally different Man. time periods. Yeah, I mean, we just have to wait till the next sight and sound poll. And yeah, yeah, yeah. We met in VR. That actually does remind there. me. I was because. Watching we met in virtual reality and also watching a lot of noirs from the forties, which we'll yeah. talk about soon. It's just like how crazy I guess like people in their eighties or nineties that grew up with that kind of film, if they watched We Met in Virtual yeah. like what, what is, is this, this world? Yeah. Oh my and god. That's kinda how I feel. Also we I understand it, but like my god, they they're looking at like a totally different world. That just reminded me too that Okay, 99% of people in We Met in Virtual Reality are hot anime chicks, but there's, like, one guy that was just, like, Perry Mason. He just looked <laughs> oh, like a yeah. 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 like noir. If I yeah. was in VR, I think that would be my avatar. <laughs> sure. Well, I might go get me a new tattoo or take my old Harley for a three-day cruise might even grow me a fool man chew ah, and it's a great day to be alive i know the sun's still shining when i close my eyes there's some hard times in the neighborhood but why can't